0: But you know what? God knew exactly who was going to be here. And We are continuing our sermon series on spiritual warfare. We have one more week today, and then next week we will wrap it all up. <clears throat> Every week as we have been going through this sermon series, I, um, I kind of feel compelled to say, this is probably the most important piece of armor. But then I realized that they are all equally important. And each individual piece serves to make up what Paul, the Apostle Paul, referred to as the full armor of God. The full armor of God that allows us to stand victoriously against a powerful and relentless enemy, the devil. Earlier, if we go back in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul Describes how the devil comes against us, the people of God, with his his various wiles or schemes. And, and lets us know that the devil's primary mission is to destroy our faith and draw our attention away from God. That's his job. To counter those attacks, Paul repeatedly, in verses 11, 13, and 14, he repeatedly cautions us to stand against the attacks of the devil. Now, when Paul wrote about standing, it was a reference to a soldier who refused to yield even an inch of ground to an attacking enemy. It spoke of standing and saying, I have come this far, and I will not go back. It is the image of a a soldier protecting ground that has already been taken from the enemy and holding on to it and standing. There are times when we feel like we may not have made a lot of forward progress since we were saved. But when we stop and reflect, we can, if we will actually be honest, we can see the victories that God has brought about in our lives. We will continue to fight some battles along the way. But I will tell you today, and we've said this before and probably keep saying it again, the victory has already been won. Jesus won the battle when he died, when he was buried, and when he rose from the grave. So when circumstances seem to say otherwise, and spiritual battles seem to rage around us, know this, we are victorious. We are victorious. That's why we we can have folks come up here and, and give their testimony as to what God has done in their lives, because they are victorious. At one time, they were being beaten up by the devil. And they were losing the battle. But because victory has been won, once they were saved, once their sins were gone, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and once that happened and they put on that armor of God, now they are victorious and they can stand here and say, I am a different person. I am that person that Paul talked about. Old things have passed away and now all things have become new. And then if we'll take the time and think about where we once were, and then where God has brought us, we'll plainly see that God has given all of us some very precious ground in the form of truth and promises from the Word of God. But I will tell you, the devil would like to take all of those away as well. Promises that the devil will make you think are not for you. The promises in the Word of God. You'll read the Bible and say, well, praise God, that's for me. And the devil will go, oh, that's not for you. That's for someone else. You don't deserve that. Truths like who God is and the truth that he loves you. We have the word, and the writer of Psalms called, that he called a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. That's what the word of God is. It is a lamp to our feet. It is that light to our path that we can follow clearly. We have the Holy Spirit that if we will allow it, it will guide us into all truth. That's what John 16, 13 says. We have his grace. We have his mercy that according to Lamentations three twenty two and 23 is renewed every day. Every day. That same passage of scripture tells us that God is faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Those are all promises to you and I. We have the promise of salvation. We have promises of his blessings. There's a lot of other things that we as children of God have been given. And even though they are ours, the devil does not want us to have any of those things, so he does everything in his power to take those blessings away from us. Of course, there are some things that the devil can't take away. And since he can't take them away, he does everything in his power to diminish the influence of those things in our lives. He can't take them, so he just wants to ruin them. He will try to invalidate the blessings of God that he can't steal. So if we're going to stand and hold the ground that we have been given, then we must put on the full armor of God. So far in this series, we've looked at the belt of truth, we've looked at the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and the shield of faith. And I want to real quickly go over what each of those pieces represent. First of all, the belt of truth speaks of a life that is built upon faithfulness to God and his word. It speaks of us holding on to truth in both our testimony and the way we live our lives. In other words, what we say and what we do. We don't just talk about it, we do it. Unless our lives and testimonies are rooted in and lived out in truth, we will not be able to stand against the tricks of the devil. The next thing that Paul wrote about was the breastplate of righteousness. It speaks of a holy life. It speaks of a life filled with the righteousness of God, not self-righteousness, not something that we think we we did that is so good that we feel like now we're special. No, but righteousness, that only comes from God. It is a life that is lived in conformity to the Word of God. And a life that is lived in this way is a powerful defense against the attacks of the enemy. When we allow sin to live in our life, we give Satan an opening through which he can attack us and exploit us. Sin gives Satan the ammunition he needs to launch an attack on what God has already done in our lives. And as a result, he uses that to destroy and devastate our testimony and our reputation. Personal holiness, godly righteousness, closes the door to Satan, and it protects us when he tries to attack us. The next thing we looked at was the shoes of the gospel of peace. It speaks of of our foundation in Jesus Christ. When our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it means we are saved by grace, we know it, and nothing can change our mind because we are firm on the word of God. The devil will try to tell you you're not saved. But when our shoes are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we know without a doubt that we are saved, and we know the devil can't do anything about it. I will tell you, Satan will do his best to try to make us doubt that we are really saved. But when we wear this part of the armor of God... We are sure, we are secure in our salvation, and we cannot be moved, and that makes us a very hard target for the devil and his attacks. The next thing we looked at was the shield of faith. It talks about our daily faith in God, the kind of faith that causes us to trust him in all seasons of life. When times are good, you know what we know? We know the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And when times are bad, we still know the just shall live by faith. That is what that is. That is why our faith is so important. So when the fiery arrows of the devil are raining down all around us, that shield of faith protects us and allows us to stay in the fight for the glory of God. When we live behind the shield of faith, we become an impossible target for the devil to hit. We talked last week about the shield of faith and how important it was that not just we hold our shield but that we come together as a as a as a body as a as an army that the ones in the front would hold their shield and these soldiers they would hold their shield and they would get down underneath the ones that were behind would take their shield and put overhead and when they stayed together in this formation there was nothing the enemy could do they were protected So today we've gone through all of that, and today we're going to look at the next piece of the armor, and that's the helmet of salvation. The helmet worn by ancient soldiers was of utmost importance. It probably looks something like this. We'll come back to that. Much like the shield that these soldiers carried, the helmet was either made of thick leather covered by metal plates or it was made of solid metal that was beaten into the shape of a human head. As I was reading about this, I was thinking, I hope they didn't do that while it was on their head. But this is, this is an actual Roman, uh, first century Roman um, helmet. In Paul's description of the various parts of the armor of God, the helmet is the shortest description. Ephesians 6.17 simply says, take the helmet of salvation. That's the whole description. Take the helmet of salvation. And this short description is probably due to the fact that the purpose of the helmet is pretty obvious. It was designed to protect our head. Look at some historical information. In ancient times, many armies employed cavalry. And these soldiers were mounted on horseback. And most of these soldiers that were on horseback carried a broadsword. The broadsword was a two-handed sword that usually was around three feet in length and had a double-edged blade. This is important, I promise, we're gonna come back, tie this all together. So they've got this big giant sword that's about three feet long, it's sharp on both sides, it's held by two hands. And this sword was swung by these soldiers that were on horseback in an effort to either split the skulls of the enemy or to just completely cut their head off. Here's why that's important. The helmet helped to deflect the blow of the broadsword, and by doing so, it protected the foot soldier from serious injury or death. The point was this. You might get knocked down by this, this sword, but with that helmet on, You could get back up probably with your head still attached. That was important. A soldier going into battle without a helmet would have instantly exposed himself to the deadliest of blows, a blow to the head. Leaving off any piece of this armor would have been dangerous, but to go into battle without a helmet would have been unthinkable. Soldiers still wear helmets into battle. In much the same way, we cannot afford to go through our daily lives without the helmet of salvation. Our text says that this helmet we are to wear in our spiritual battles is that. It is the helmet of salvation. It indicates that Satan's blows, when he is coming at us, these blows are aimed at our head, at our minds. The devil is intent on destroying our sense of security, our hope, and our assurance in Jesus Christ, and he most often does that by attacking our minds. If he can get in our head, he can get to the rest of us. If the devil can strike a blow against us that can cause us to be discouraged or filled with doubt, he will have very little trouble temporarily sidelining us or even at worst taking us out of the battle completely. While a helmet protected a Roman soldier against damaging and deadly blows to the head. Spiritually speaking, the helmet of salvation protects our minds against anything that that would disorient or destroy us as Christians. Now, I will tell you this. Much like the the broad sword that we used in the first century, the sword that is wielded by the devil is also a two-edged sword. There are lots of ways that the devil tries to attack our minds, but I believe two of the ones he uses the very most are discouragement and doubt. Let's look a little bit more closely at this helmet of salvation and see how it can protect us from both discouragement and doubt. One of the ways the devil uses discouragement is to cause us to look back at our, our, our sins and our failures. Look at the problems in our lives, both real problems and perceived problems, our health issues, any other negative situation that we might face in life. He loves to get us just to focus on that. When the devil can get our focus and our attention off of the Lord and on negative issues that we face in life, he knows at some point, if we continue down that line of thinking, we will eventually begin to doubt God's love and care for us. Here's what I mean. He'll whisper in your ear, you know, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this right now. Why do you trust him? Look at the mess you're in. Why does he say that? Because he's a liar. That's what the Bible says. The devil is the father of lies. His language is lying. When we get our eyes off of God and start listening to the devil, the end result is usually discouragement. And please listen to me when I say this. Discouragement doesn't just happen to new Christians. Even those who have been in the battle for a long time, those who have enjoyed a lot of spiritual success, can find themselves a victim of discouragement and delusionment. Think about this, Elijah in the Old Testament. There are very few people in history who have ever enjoyed such a great string of spiritual victories like those enjoyed by Elijah. Watch this. He had been hiding from King Ahab for years. When he came back out of hiding and he showed up in one day, one day, this had all happened in one day, Elijah defeated 450 prophets of Baal by praying down fire from heaven. Pretty cool, right? And then after he did that, he outran the chariot of King Ahab all the way from Mount Carmel all the way to Jezreel, about 17 miles. That's quite a day, right? And we go, woohoo, victory. And then look what happened the next day. The very next day, the next day, after Elijah was up there just doing his little Holy Ghost dance, there came a word from Queen Jezebel. She was angry at Elijah, and look what she said in 1 Kings 19 too. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Speaking of the dead prophets. If you're still alive tomorrow, may the gods deal with me severely. In other words, I'm going to kill you. Yesterday, it was a good day. Calling fire down from heaven, outrunning a chariot. And the very next day, this nonsense. So what does Elijah do? Even after all of the victories he had experienced just the day before, now when he hears this, he turns and he runs for his life. He travels to Beersheba and he throws himself under a shrub. And in 1 Kings 19.4, Elijah prays To die. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he sits under his tree, and he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors'. Just kill me now. This great man of God who had done so many great things was so discouraged that he was ready to quit on God. He was ready to resign as being a prophet and die. I quit. I didn't sign up for this nonsense. I like that calling down fire from heaven stuff. I like that outrunning the chariot stuff. But when this queen says she's going to kill me, uh uh-uh. I'm out of here. And he literally was out of there. He turned around and ran and went and hid under a tree and said, kill me now. But once again, God showed up. Look what he did. First of all, he rebuked Elijah. And then he provided Elijah with food and water. And then refreshed by food and water, Elijah traveled 40 days to the mountain of Horeb where he went into a cave and spent the night. And you go, well, that's good, right? In spite of all of that, Elijah was still struggling. Look what God asked him in in 1 Kings 19.9. He goes, what are you doing here, Elijah. Elijah's reply indicated the state of his heart. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have well, they have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. I'm all by myself. Nobody else serves God. And now they're trying to kill me too. Anybody ever felt alone? Like maybe you were the last person on earth who was still living for God? If so, you're in good company because that is exactly what Elijah was saying. Elijah goes on and on complaining and then after much conversation between between he and God, God assures Elijah in this still small voice, he says, Elijah, you're not by yourself. There's still seven thousand people back in Israel who have remained faithful. There are seven thousand people in Israel who have not bowed to Baal. You are not alone. Get up from there. It didn't matter how how much it seemed that Elijah was alone. It wasn't true. And no matter how hard the devil tries to convince you that you're all by yourself in this battle, know this you are not alone. Stay in the fight. Make a stand on the truths that are found in the Word of God. Make sure you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then no matter what happens, no matter what comes, no matter what goes, you stand. Well, that's easy for you, you're a pastor. Jim, we had a good talk this week. Pastors don't always feel that way. Sometimes I feel like Elijah. We have a great Sunday service. The, 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 the Holy Spirit just moves in a service. Lives are touched. And the very next day, Monday comes. And you go, I will tell you this, Elijah learned the truth that spiritual victory does not insulate us against discouragement. In our walk with God, I don't care how spiritual you are, there will be highs and there will be lows. There will be proverbial mountaintops and there will be valleys. There will be times of rejoicing and there will be times when life is just hard. But remember this, there is no storm regardless of how powerful it may have been at the time or how powerful it may have seemed at the time. There is no storm that lasts forever. I've grew up in Florida. I've lived through hurricanes from the time I was just a little boy when we had everything that, that our family had was destroyed by a hurricane, Hurricane Donna. But you know what? When Hurricane Donna was gone, it was gone. It's not still out there blowing. There is no storm in life that will last forever. It will pass. But how we handle those storms makes all the difference. Do we cut and run out of discouragement? Do we cut and run because we're in despair? Or do we stand? Someone once said that Satan has many tools, but discouragement is the handle that fits them all. There's a lot of truth in that. You might have been saved for many years, but if the devil can get you discouraged in your walk with the Lord, he can get you out of the battle. If he can get you to focus on your problems, on the failures in your life, on the shortcomings of others, on the shortcomings of others. Yeah, I said that twice on purpose. And I said it twice because if the devil can get us to start picking at the shortcomings of others, then he can just sit back and watch because he knows if it continues, we will eventually destroy one another and he never has to fire a shot and we cannot allow that to happen. If the devil can get you to focus on any negative thing at all, He can overwhelm your defenses and cause you to doubt the Lord's goodness. We don't like to think about this, but it's true anyway. When we allow problems, pain, people, life situations, when we allow those things to discourage us to the point where we quit on God, the devil has won that battle. Well, that sounds harsh. It is harsh, but it's still true. When we quit and run, the devil wins. For that period of time, he has caused us to doubt the goodness and grace of God. And regardless of the reason we name or the excuse we make, when we allow Satan to discourage us to the point where we stop serving the Lord, we are at that moment looking God in the face and telling him, I don't believe that you are bigger than this. This problem is bigger than you. And because of that, I quit. And like Elijah, we go sit under our little tree somewhere. Again, that might sound far-fetched, it might sound harsh, but it's still true. Then go back to the book of Job. We read about a man whose helmet of salvation was firmly in place. Satan unleashed the fury of hell against Job, and Job still refused to doubt the goodness of God. Job didn't understand why he had to lose his children. He didn't understand why his health had to be taken away. He didn't understand why everything that he had worked his whole life to amass, why it was now lost. But in the middle of pain and problems, Job continued to trust the Lord. In Job 13, 15, Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. God, I've lost everything. Everything's gone. But I'm going to trust you. Even if my life is the next thing to go, I will die trusting you. I will stand where I am, and I will trust you until I die. I believe Job's helmet deflected every blow of discouragement from the enemy. And it protected his fragile spirit from injury. Be sure that your helmet of salvation is in place. Refuse to allow Satan to cause you to focus your attention on the the events of life, on the events of people, and become discouraged as as a result of that. If he can ever get you to take your eyes off the Lord and put them on people or difficulties of life, you will be easy prayer for that slashing broadsword of discouragement. It's easy to be discouraged when you feel like everything in life is going against you. It's easy to be discouraged when the answer to your prayers are delayed. As a pastor, it can be easy to be discouraged when your preaching, your teaching, your witnessing seems to be ineffective. Sometimes it might even seem to us that discouragement is kind of our default setting. And Satan knows this, and he exploits this weakness in our lives But even when we are discouraged by the events of life, we must never forget that God always has our situation well in hand. He can be trusted to do what is right all the time. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Knowing and believing this, we must not become weary in well-doing. Instead, we keep pushing forward because we know that in due season, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's true anyway. But if we give up, there will not be a harvest. If Elijah would have stayed under that tree, feeling sorry for himself, were the events real? Yes, the events were real. The queen was saying, if you're not dead, may the gods deal with me severely. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you are dead. That's pretty real. So, yeah, what was going on was real in his life. But had he chosen to stay there under that tree, Elijah would never have accomplished another thing in his entire life. The other edge of Satan's broadsword is doubt. When we get to the place where we doubt God's love for us, when we doubt our salvation, we doubt the word of God, I will tell you, we are easily defeated by the enemy. We have seen what discouragement can do. And when we begin to doubt our salvation, we will often become discouraged. When we begin to doubt God's faithfulness and his love to us, we are easily discouraged. When doubt, when we doubt the word of God, the very foundation of hope in the Lord is undermined. And at that point, we no longer have a firm ground on which to stand. If Satan can convince you that you're not really saved, or that somehow you lost your salvation, you will be devastated spiritually. That kind of doubt paralyzes a believer. And as a result, it makes us unproductive and it makes us miserable. There is nothing that will sideline a child of God more quickly than having their peace and security stripped away. When we forget the truth of John 14, 27, we are easy prey for the enemy. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. I will tell you that Satan has an easy time defeating a believer who has lost their assurance in the salvation of Jesus Christ. If Satan has been beating you with that sword, let me remind you of this. If you are in Jesus, your salvation is secure. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. You say, well, are you sure? Watch this. John 10, verses 28 and 29. I give them eternal life that they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can st- snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's Jesus talking. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul wrote, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers... Neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 1:6 says this, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion until the day of Christ Jesus. First Peter 1 Peter 1:3 through 5 praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That means your salvation is secure. No one can take your salvation away from you. Listening to the devil will bring about doubt, and that will ultimately lead to discouragement. So here's the key to all of this that we just were talking about. Be sure you're saved. Make absolutely sure that you are saved. Be sure that you have more than just a church membership or some vague religious experience. I talk to people all the time. Well, you know, I was baptized when I was a baby. Okay. Okay. And since then, well, not much. Be sure that you are saved. Being baptized as a baby did not save you. Well, but I belong to to so-and-so church. That's great. But belonging to so-and-so church does not save you. Don't just assume that you are saved because you've checked off a box or two on some salvation checklist. There are several things we need to examine to be sure of where we stand with the Lord. We need to examine our lives since the time we claim to have been saved. And in doing that, we need to look at our lives and see how we're living currently. Look at our priorities now as opposed to to what they were before we were saved. If they're the same, then I would go back to, you need to get saved. Because when we get saved, our priorities will change. Remember that whole old things have passed away and now all things have become new. Not some things, not a few things. All things have become new. When we are truly saved, our priorities will change. Look at what we love, what we do, what we live for. Look at what we are trusting in for salvation. If we're trusting in a person, you're not saved. People fail. If we're trusting in a religion, you're not saved. Religions will not save you. If you're trusting in a church membership, you're not saved because church membership will not save you. Now, please understand, I am not trying to make anyone doubt their salvation today. I am simply trying to get us to honestly examine our salvation experience so that we can know without a doubt that we are saved. And and first and foremost, it's because I don't want you to miss out on heaven because you trusted in a false profession of faith. And secondly, I want you to be able to stand when the enemy comes against you and tries to make you doubt your salvation. If you know without a doubt that you are saved, when the devil comes along and says, but you're not saved, look at you. Hey, listen, pal. The Bible says this. I've done that. The Bible says this. I've done that. The Bible says this. I've done that. My life is not the same. I used to be like this. I'm not like that anymore. I am a new creation. And because of that, I don't care what you say, I'm going to stand. That is when we know we're saved, and that is how we're able to stand when the devil comes against us to try to doubt whether or not we're saved. When you are wearing the helmet of salvation, you can look the devil in the eye and say, I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you cannot take that away from me. And in that, you stand strong, and in that, you stand secure. On the other side of that, and listen carefully what I'm going to say here so we all understand this, there are times when, when we blame that feeling of I'm not sure if I'm saved, we blame that on the devil, when in reality, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart, saying, you're really not saved and you need to be born again. That's what we refer to sometimes as conviction. That's when the Holy Spirit knocks on our heart, and it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us and saying, you really never repented. Your life hasn't changed. You're still the same person you used to be. You are not a new creation. You can be. That is the Holy Spirit. So today we need to ask ourselves and be honest with the answer based on what the Word of God says, not what somebody told us, but based on the Word of God, we need to ask ourselves, am I saved? Followed by the question, am I sure? And if we can say, yes, I'm saved, yes, I'm sure, then when the devil comes against us, we can say, The blood of Jesus Christ has covered my sins. I have repented. I was headed in that direction, and because of repentance, I have changed direction. I am a new person in Christ. Nothing I've done on my own, but in Christ, I am saved. I will tell you that doubt can be devastating. So can discouragement. But we can know that we are saved even when the devil tries to tell us something different. And we can know that God is able to keep us even when we're discouraged. So today, let me tell you, if you are discouraged, why not take that discouragement to the Lord? I promise you that He will, and He can help you with that. What about doubt? Has the devil been trying to hack you with that broadsword of doubt? If so, then why not call on the Lord today before you leave this place and ask him to help you take that helmet of salvation and put it firmly in place. He can settle your spirit and he can give you peace today before you walk out that door. And he can enable you to be able to stand against everything the devil will throw at you. You do not have to live a life that is that of continual defeat by the devil. I've heard people stand back years ago, and we used to have testimony service. And they would stand supposedly to give a testimony, and basically all they did was talk about all things the devil was doing to them and how he's chased them around. And he never gave credit to God for doing anything. That's how the devil defeats us. He gets us to focus on the things that he's doing to us and take our eyes off of what Jesus has done. And when that happens, we begin to doubt and we become discouraged. But you can have peace today. Today. You can withstand the assaults of discouragement and doubt. But you can only do it if you have the helmet of salvation firmly in place. If you say, I know that I am saved. I know what the Word of God says. My sins are forgiven. The blood of Jesus has washed my sins away. I have trusted him. The helmet of a soldier in the first century also protected the eyes of the soldier, enabling him to have and maintain physical vision. Spiritual vision allows us as Christians to fix our eyes on the goal and to press forward without distraction or detour. We are focused on where we're going. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so entangles, easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Apostle Paul continually set an example of pressing forward with his eyes on the goal at all times, and he urged people at the church of Philippi to do the same. He wrote this in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained all this, Not that I've already done all these things or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. With the heaven of, helmet of salvation firmly in place, we as Christians can focus on the goal of salvation, imitating the life of Jesus in order to reach the goal that he has made possible for us. We don't have to live with discouragement. We don't have to live a life of doubt because we have hope that can sustain us on the journey. And we have vision to lock our eyes firmly on the goal that is before us. When we look at it that way, it should truly show us what a valuable piece of armor the helmet is. Salvation is the ultimate goal for us as Christians. And the armor we have been given to get there is indispensable. Don't give the devil away into your mind, don't let him cause you to doubt. Don't let him cause you to be discouraged. And the best way to do that is to put on the helmet of salvation. Keep it on. Would you stand this morning? I believe today there is nothing that we could do that is more important than to make sure that our salvation is sure nothing we put that helmet of salvation on we know that we are saved and because we know we are saved it protects our mind against the the, the, the onslaught from the devil that would try to tell us differently And I want us to come today as we sing. I want us to all come up and pray and spend some time in prayer. If you need prayer, we'll pray with you, pray for you. But I just want us to spend some time praying. I want us to just ask God to search our heart. Lord, speak to me today to let me know that I am saved. If there's anything in my life that shouldn't be there, then point that out and help me to get rid of it. Help me to be willing to get rid of it no matter what it is, if it shouldn't be there, if it's going to stop me in my walk with God, if it will hinder me from going forward, then Lord, help me to remove it from my life. Paul wrote about laying aside all the things that would beset us or slow us down or drag us back. Get rid of that stuff. Today's a good day to get rid of those things. As we sing, would you just come, find a place to pray. You can stand here, you can kneel at the altar. If you need prayer, come on up and we will pray with you. Let's sing. In and how